0: is a Greek word derived from the Latin hosanna which is derived from the Hebrew word hoshaiana which means save us we pray Jesus then spent some time in bethany the son of david refers to jesus christ as the descendant of king david Jerv- as the promised messiah now in monday Matthew 21 verses 12 through 17, Jesus cleanses and and scolds the people in the temple, and then he leaves Bethany. Then in Matthew 21 18 and 19, while traveling, Jesus curses the fig tree to teach about bearing fruit. Now on Tuesday. Matthew chapter 21, 20 to 22, Jesus teaches a lesson about faith as illustrated by the withered fig tree. Then in verses 23 to 27, Jesus went to the temple and taught the people. Then Jesus was confronted by the chief priests and the elders about his authority. Jesus continued teaching using parables. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gave woes to the scribes and the Pharisees jesus expressed his anger and told them about the judgment his judgment to come then on wednesday matthew chapter 24 and 25 jesus teaches the disciples and the people by using parables then in matthew chapter 26 verses 1 through 5 the chief priests the scribes the elders and the high priests plotted to kill jesus in matthew chapter 26 Verses fourteen to sixteen. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. In Matthew chapter twenty-eight, eighteen, Jesus sends Peter and John to Jerusalem to make preparations for the sacred meal, the Lord's Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples gathered in that, that upper room in Jerusalem that was prepared for them. The sacred meal meal was related to the Passover. The meal was symbolic of his sacrifice, Jesus demonstrated that he was the lamb, the bread, and the wine. Then Judas leaves early to betray Jesus. Now on Thursday, which we celebrate as Good Friday, in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, early on Thursday morning, Jesus and the disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed in agony. Then in verses 47 to 46, the temple guards came, bringing Judas, and they came and arrested Jesus. Jesus was taken uh, and held on trial six times. The final trial, the sixth one, which was the pilot, Jesus was ordered to be put to death by crucifixion. The Lord Jesus Christ was brutally beaten, Mocked and taken to the hill of Calvary. Now you see Jesus nailed to a cross with his arms stretched out. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world.
1: Amen. Can we say amen? We thank Reverend Battles for being methodical in the things that he said. He certainly did his research in bringing us to par right now. So right now, we're going to have the first word by Minister um, Kirby. And uh, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
2: Happy Good Friday, St. Matthews. Let's have a brief prayer. Father, thank you for the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless this congregation and our pastor as well. It's in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Amen. I've been given the word forgiveness. That Jesus uttered to his father, God. As he was dying on Calvary's cross. Forgiveness is a word that cannot be sugar coated. It is a word that cuts deep into the soul. It can be described as a miniature time bomb. And if not diffused, can turn into unforgiveness and will explode within, causing irreversible damage to our bodies, little by little, for the rest of our lives. Webster describes forgiveness as to give up resentment against the desire to punish to pardon, to release an offense or offender. Authorist describes forgiveness as pardon, forgive and forget. Let pass, excuse, condone, and remit. Relent, bear no malice. Exonerate, let bygones be bygones. Laugh it off, let it go. Kiss and make up. Bury the hatchet. And finally, turn the other cheek. Webster describes unforgiveness as not willing or not able to forgive. The Bible gives two Greek words for forgiveness one is pardon, found in Psalms 130, verse 4. The other is release, found in Ephesians 7 and Colossians 1. These are easy things to say, but many of us. For many of us, they are difficult things to do. However, if we are to live for Christ, if we are to become a light in a dark world, if we are to live a joyous and abundant life on this earth, then forgiveness is a word that we all must encounter one day, face to face. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, records Jesus' prayer for forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The words them or they in the New Testament scripture refers to the unconverted and the unsaved. The words we or us in the New Testament scripture refers to the converted or saved Christians. I would like to title this brief lesson, Dying for Forgiveness. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Son of God, Savior of the world, nailed on a cross barely holding on to life with minutes maybe seconds to live with his last breath conversing with the father and for what forgiveness for them he had been drenched in Jewish injustice he felt the wrath of their hatred and envy and revenge the Jews were claiming victory as they watched him die the angry crowd who would have probably stoned him to make sure he had no chance for survival. Had it not been for the Roman guards, Jesus barely survived the brutal beating imposed on him by the Roman authority. Yet this man, God, man dangling from the cross, having the power to call down a legion of angels and destroy every living thing. Instead, Jesus elected to pray for forgiveness. What is the importance of this word, forgiveness? I believe with no uncertainty that God the Father, having little or no tolerance for sin, hearing the cries of his Son, grants his request. Jesus, I venture to say, hearing his prayers answered, with all the human strength he could muster, lifted up his head to see the results of an unforgiving world from the cross. Our Savior Jesus Christ saw people having heart attacks because of their inability to forgive themselves as well as others. Obese men and women hooked to dialysis machines because they use food to deal with the pain of past hurts. Young and old getting HIV overdosing because they believe drugs will take away the pain of unforgettable inner wounds. Hospitals filled with patients diagnosed with liver cancer because they choose to indulge in hard liquor to drown out their sorrows. Jesus focus was not so much on the unsaved but on the saved. Because he knew that the same results of unforgiving spirit those effects the unsaved as well. Jesus knows our weaknesses. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our inner hurts, past, present, and future. He knows we cannot deal with the healing powers of forgiveness on our own. He died on Calvary Cross so the world would be given. He died on Calvary Cross so that his children, each and every one of us, would understand the importance of executing the spirit of forgiveness in their lives. Jesus knows we cannot do it alone. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor." And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the death, burial, and resurrection and teaching us the importance of a forgiving spirit. God bless you.
1: Amen. Right in the sanctuary, how many of us? have a problem with forgiving I try to resolve my forgiveness by backing off not speaking but I'm still wrong because if you can't forgive with your heart then your mind is not which what you're supposed to do and thank uh, brother Kirby for that because he was right on target with it we have a few we have a foolish disposition within us when it comes to something that we don't want or don't understand. Amen? And now let us stand and sing glory to his name, hymn 191.
3: Some church. Glory, glory to His name. Hey. I'm singing glory to. Glory
4: to His name. name. I'm singing.
1: The word says, verily I stand today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's Reverend Dan Spencer.
5: All this technology. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Great, good. I'm doing well, too. If you take a look at me, uh, take a look at uh, Luke twenty-three forty-three, where it is, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Good Friday, because it, without Good Friday, it wouldn't be a getting-up morning on Sunday morning. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and honor. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This morning I'm going to use as a title, The Thief in His Belief, A Change of Desires, a Dialogue, and a Change of Destiny. All right. This scripture was taken from the book of Luke. Luke was a physician, disciple, writer of this book, and he also wrote the book of Acts uh... being a physician he was very detail-oriented and so he was uh... he captured some details that the other gospels didn't capture Uh, not for the sake of uh... just leaving it out but for the sake of that's the way that the lord wanted it and he captured these details and the thing that he captured what that was most like striking was the fact that he captured the dialogue between jesus and the thief the objective of luke was to show Jesus as a son of man, Jesus as God, but also as a human, as a man. And so you see all these glimpses and pictures uh, if you read the book of uh, of Luke. What happened, I believe, was a thief. There were two thieves, one on the left, one on the right. Um, One was repentant, one was unrepentant. But the repentant thief started off like this. And what I believe happened was that the thief that repented had a personal, physical, and spiritual crucifixion which led to a change of his desire, a change of his dialogue, and then a change of his destiny by Jesus. A change of his desires of his heart when he recognized who Jesus was. In verse 39 it says, And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? What's a malfactor? I've never heard of a malefactor. I don't know what it was, so I had to look it up. It was just simply a bad doer. Someone was doing something bad. Um, and usually then the criminals had a sign that gave them what they did, their crime, their, uh, what, their what, what, what was their um, their offense. And so... The one thief, if you look at it, was uh, you know he was on the other side of Jesus, and he was saying you know he was insulting him, he was railing on him. Now railing, we don't use that word often either. That means to insult, to belittle, to to cut down, to tear up, however you want to call it. But it, it wasn't good. But he was railing on him, and then but, but his buddy, his his buddy, all of a sudden, if you read in the other Gospels, he had a change of heart because he was in there too, and then. But, but but Luke just brings out the part of his dialogue but he was also coming against Jesus but then all of a sudden he something happened I don't know what happened but guess what from his dialogue he went down to Romans Road even though it wasn't written yet in Romans 3:10, you know it says there's none righteous no not one Romans 3:23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and then Romans 5 8 but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners Christ died for us I don't know what he's seen or remembered I don't know if it was the 5,000 people that Jesus fed with a sardine sandwich or given sight to blind Bart or given life to Lazarus or maybe he just saw Jesus demeanor on the cross I don't know I, I I don't know what he saw and the Bible doesn't say what he saw but that caused him to have a change of heart and then it went to his dialogue he had a change of a dialogue uh, when he realized he needed a savior. And we indeed justly for we, verse 41, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath no, done nothing amiss. He was making confession of his sin or saying what God says about it. Rome 323 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can imagine him leaning and straining and saying to the criminal on the other side of Jesus. Come on, man. Don't you know who this is? And somehow he recognized. Then in verse 42, he says this. He said unto unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What's important about that is that when he says Lord, he means curios, master, owner. He acknowledged who he was. Remember me. The disciples were scattered and scared. And they thought that at that moment, it was done. But the thief had the insight and wisdom, and I don't know what he saw, but he knew that it wasn't over. This was just the beginning. And so he realized what he needed to do. And, and sometimes in those moments when, we're, when our back is against the wall, we, we start real, I mean, things become very, very clear. And it's amazing how clear they become when we get, uh, when we get backed up. And then Romans 10, 9, 11 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth on righteousness. With the mouth confession is made in salvation. What scripture says, whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And then it goes on to say, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was not yet written, but it was paralleling the Romans' road. A change of destination by Jesus' response to him gave him hope. And Jesus said unto him, verse 43, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One word, love. Love, love. His grace and mercy saves us. Notice how personal it is because of his faith in Jesus Christ alone. He was addressing him. I don't know how, what the noise was around there. I don't know how loud it was or what was going on, but it was a conversation that was taking place. I don't know where Luke was uh, or who was there to relay him that information. But he heard the conversation. And we know that is grace alone. for Ephesians 2:8-9. For by grace are we saved through faith and not of yourselves, it's, not, it's a gift of God not any man can, can boast of. And he says this, Verily, verily, assuredly, is that what it means? Amen, truly, done, guaranteed, done deal. He'll be in paradise. Abraham's bosom, the abode of the blessed, the dwelling place of just spirits, or heaven as we know it. He didn't have time to do good work, speak in tongues, tarry for the spirit, throw seed money on an altar, get dipped, get sprinkled, get dunked. All he did was believe. That's all he did. All he did was believe. Have you believed? Have you believed? Have you nailed your sins to the cross? Is your flesh being crucified daily? In Galatians 2.20, it says this, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And and the life which I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I'm, I'm done, but the three things I want you to take away, it's never too late, there's hope to 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 the end if you put your trust in jesus number two it is faith in him alone and not our works that save us number three right, right. brokenness confession and repentance leads to salvation when we trust him a change of your desires will lead to a change in your dialogue and a change in that will lead to your change in your destiny when you trust jesus you are the thief what is your belief Come on, man. amen
1: Can we say amen? amen? And there's not a one of us that's in this room and the sound of my voice that have not nailed ourselves to something. Because everything that looked like don't have to be like. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Took it uh, took back me memory, so I have to back off of that now. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Minister Ed Arnold.
6: Good morning, St. Matthew's. First, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for saving me October the 26th of 1970. Next, my pastor, who I consider one of the greatest pastors around, I thank him for this opportunity to stand before you. This is not something that we take lightly. The men up here. This is both an honor and a privilege to stand before you. I also want to thank my wife for standing beside me. We'll be celebrating 45 years of marriage in exactly two weeks. Two weeks. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 19. We will be reading verses 25 through 27. That's John 19. 25 through 27. And this is what the word of God says Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. The title of this message is, Mary lost a son but found a savior. When Jesus uses this term mother, keep in mind in the Jewish culture, this is not derogatory. This is a sign of respect, of endearment. Jesus is not disrespecting his mother. And Jesus never called Mary mother in the Bible but said to John, behold, your mother. Here at the cross, we have three women named Mary, but we have only one of 12 disciples at the cross. So the question is, where are the other disciples? One of 12, where are the other disciples? The answer is, they were in hiding, afraid to be seen at the cross of Jesus' crucifixion because of the Roman soldiers. Also, the Gospel of Matthew says that Jesus had brothers and sisters. So where are his siblings at the cross? The answer is they did not believe in Jesus at this time. Now, all through the book of John, it speaks of Jesus' hour, the hour in which he would die on the cross. And so it was at the start of Jesus' ministry in the book of John. We see Mary and Jesus together at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And John 2.4 reads, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. Now here at the end of Jesus' ministry, at Calvary, Mary is once again with Jesus, and his hour has now come upon him. But this is the reason he came to earth to die at Calvary. Adam's sin did not take God by surprise in in Genesis chapter 3 because Revelation 13.8 says the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was God's plan from before the world was formed to provide a Savior and to take our sins on himself and that Savior is Jesus the Christ. Maybe Mary cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, even as Jesus would do in the fourth word being presented next? This is truly her darkest hour, and if Jesus is the man of sorrows, then Mary is truly the woman of sorrows. Mary's affection for Jesus only increased as she watched Jesus grow from the God seed to the God baby and then to the God boy. And finally, to the God-man, Mary is so proud of her son, she is at the highest point of motherhood, shortly to be followed by the lowest point of motherhood, the darkest hour of her life, as she watches the Roman soldiers pound nails into Jesus' feet and hands. Yes, Mary's son, the God's Savior that we know and love is going to die on the cross for our sins, our sins. This third word is about affection, spoken near the noon hour. It's Jesus' affection for his mother and John and a mother's affection for her son. Mary knew that the Jesus she bore was from God. But guess what, folks? God never told Mary that Jesus had come to die a horrible death on the cross. He never told her. Mary and John are close enough to to the cross to hear Jesus speak when he says, woman, behold thy son. With these words, Jesus is saying to Mary that John is going to take place in caring for Mary. Then to John, Jesus says, behold thy mother. And with these words, Jesus is telling John to treat Mary as if she were his own mother. Jesus is keeping the fifth commandment by honoring his mother. And as Mary's firstborn son, Jesus is legally responsible for his mother's welfare. So Jesus appoints John to be his substitute, just as Jesus is our substitute. In his final hours, Jesus was more concerned with the sorrow of others than his own sorrow and pain. And speaking of Jesus' and Mary's hour, Simeon said in Luke 2.34, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. Mary's pain and sorrow was horrendous for her. Parents should never have to watch their child die. And yet, even today, parents go through the agony of watching their children die, many times because of disease or an accident. As a parent, I can relate closely to this Good Friday with the pain and sorrow that Mary experienced. When our daughter Rachel was dying of cancer, she was in the hospital in Pennsylvania and Barbara and I were there and Barbara had to go home to take care of our daughter's children and I wanted to stay because I wanted my baby to know that I was there for her I wanted her to know and so the only place I could find to sleep that I could stretch out was on a concrete floor and when my Rachel woke up the next morning she said dad what are you doing on the floor you cannot sleep on the floor with your back I said, Rachel, I said, for you, I can, and I did. But then on September 14, September 2011, my wife and I were at our daughter's, Rachel's bedside when she took her last breath and died. But my daughter's death pales in comparison to the horrible death that our Lord, our Savior, and our God, Jesus Christ, experienced for us on the cross. Jesus speaks again in the book of John of his final hour, John 12.23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And again at the Lord's Supper in John 13.1, it reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, Christ's example teaches all men to honor their parents in life and death to provide for their wants, and to promote their comfort by every means at their disposal. So from that hour, the very hour that Jesus had been waiting for, the very hour in which he was in agony, the very hour in which the sin of the world was placed on him, the hour in which Jesus was rejected, the hour in which all but one of his disciples had abandoned him, the hour in which his own heavenly Father turned his back on him, In that hour, Jesus took care of his mother. Jesus' mother Mary, who had been with Jesus when his hour had not yet come, now, here she is with Jesus, now that his hour has come. She has not abandoned Jesus, and Jesus would not abandon her in his hour of suffering. And saints, Jesus will not abandon us, no matter what the hour, Amen? amen? Amen.
1: I want to thank Brother Arnold for that because it's so true. We, when we grow up, we forget our parents. And then some of the parents, because of a child's attitude, forget their child. But unification is supposed to be permanent. And that's why it was always a marvel when I see us taking care of our parents, looking after them. And why would we not? because before the very first step that we was able to take, they taught us. I don't know about you, but I was close to my mom and dad and everything that I know, I learned from them. And that's why when I'm talking about them, talking about anything, I always talk about them. They technically did not die. They just moved to a better place. The absence from this body certainly be present with the Lord. And how hard is a floor? brother arnold said something about the cement floor how hard is a floor for the love that you have to give it's soft the things that you're laying on the things that you're doing don't look at what you think it is but think for the comfort of being able to do it amen amen, amen. amen. and now let us uh, ready ourselves now for to him 94 that uh, near the cross and let everyone get involved in it near the cross. Those words alone speak for itself. From the fourth word, these words can be found in Matthew 27:45 to 46. <clears throat> now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." That is to say, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Every one of the things that have occurred on Good Friday has always been effective to me a lot because I can relate to them now, and especially this one. Tonight we come back to Calvary. Calvary where our Savior died and salvation was born. Calvary where God prayed and the mob cursed. Calvary where deep darkness enveloped the earth that the divine light might find the earth. Calvary where God's son was forsaken that we might never be forsaken. Calvary, where by faith we received our sight and had our burdens roll away. Calvary, your hope and mine's for time and eternity. Christ is hanging on the cross, my brothers and sisters. He has prayed for his persecutors. He has promised life to a thief. He has made provision for his mother, and now the scene changes. Several hours have passed by from 12 noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Darkness has covered the land, hiding from the eyes of man the form of the Son of God. This darkness was a miraculous thing. It was from God. It probably brought silence to the, to the crowd. The strange fear filled their hearts, and the only noise that could be heard was an occasional groan from the three victims. Like a slap, sharp slap of thunder, a cry rinsed the heavens. Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me the crucifixion was more unusual thing the world ever looked upon this cry was the most startling utterance of it all jesus was actually crucified jesus was actually forsaken these words which he spoke were taken from psalms 22 some say that he learned this psalm as a young, as a boy, and that on the cross he was uh, diligently remembering what he had heard, babbling in his speech because of what he knew out of these words. Certainly, there was there was wrong. Jesus was perfectly. Re- quiet in his spirit, perfectly understanding in his thoughts every minute that he stood there. And yet he could not adjust to the things that was happening. Some say that uh, he was in pains in such a pain that these words were focused from his lips. and That certainly could not be so. Jesus gladly laid down his life and gladly endured all the pain for you and me. He had no dread of physical suffering. Some say that Jesus just felt that he was forsaken. No, he knew what it was about in this hour. It was not the matter of feeling with him, but the actuality. He did not say, Lord, it seems that you have forsaken me. All he said was, thou have forsaken me. Jesus was a perfect Son of God. That's right. No one ever found any fault in him. No one ever uh, uh, tr- uh, trustworthily said and spoke to him that he did not. He did one wrong thing in his life. After 20 centuries have passed, we still look to him as the one and perfect God. He was more than that. He was God's man. Even God added his strongest testimony when he said, this is my beloved son. Now, why should he be forsaken? Uh, He had always been the object of his father's love. Uh, Even from all eternity past, he was God's only begotten son. God, the father loved him greatly, and he loved God, the father with a mighty love. He shared... God's glory before the world began. He lived in God's bosom, in his father's bosom. God sent him into a sinful world, away from the heavens. But the fellowship was never broken. From 33 years, he had an unbroken communion with God. Every thought that he had was in harmony with God's mind. Everything that he did was in accordance with God's will. But now on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He was actually forsaken. There is no sadder words than the word forsaken. I see a man deep in trouble. He looks around for his friends, and they have all forsaken him. It breaks his heart. I see a a wife sick and helpless and poor, and the husband who promised to stand by her uh, forgave, for, forever has gone. She sweeps, she sweeps because she is forsaken. She sweeps through her life. She sweeps through the things that she thought we were having because she was forsaken. I see a little child wandering through an empty house, tears flowing down her cheeks, hungry and cold and dejected, her parents have forsaken her. But no one be, has forsaken like it was God. To have turned his back upon you in the darkest time of need, this is what happened to Jesus our Savior. But all that he had done, with all that he was doing, you see that God had turned his back upon him. Now Jesus knew what it was to be forsaken, the members of his family forsook him, his hometown forsook him, the nature he came, the nation he came to save forsook him, but God never had forsaken him. every minute of his life, uh, uh, he could reach out and touch God when trouble came, he slipped away into the mountains to pray, to talk to God, and God talked with him. When other people forsook him. He could always steal away to a tender, healing fellowship with the Father. But now there was no one there to whom he could talk to. Father had forsaken him. When a man goes from brightly light room into the room into the dark, he finds the darkness more depressing than if he had gone from a room dimly lit. It. So when Jesus who had Bathed in the light of God's presence for all these centuries, was forced to step out into the blackness of His Father's forgiveness and Father's forsakenness. It was the hardest thing that he ever had to endure. No wonder he cried out, "My God, my God, why have I forsaken me?" Does a lover, does a loving God ever forsake anyone? David said, God is my refuge. And time after time in the Bible, we read these words, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When Israel was in bondage in Egypt, God did not forsake her. But he heard her voice and delivered her. When she uh, stood helpless before the Red Sea, he did not forsake her. When Daniel was in the lion's den, God did not forsake him. When the Hebrew children were in the fiery furnace, God did not forsake them. Uh, in his old age, David said, "I have never seen the righteous forsaken." Yet, as he hung on that cross, Jesus was actually forsaking of God. Yet, God changed His nature. He who promised never to leave anyone, was He hung? Was He angry after His Son? No, we cannot understand all of the meaning of this amazing cry, but as we follow the Bible truth, we can publicly and privately comprehend that all all of the sorrows and the love and tragedies wrapped up in, in these words, my God, my God, why have they forsaken me? Why was Jesus forsaken of God? Let us look at Habakkuk. Thou, though art of poor circumstances, have occurred in their lives, and a purity of eyes then uh, could be seen by evil, and cast not look, cannot look upon the troubles that they were going through. We understand here that God, uh, pure eye contact, looked upon the sin. Now, Look at Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned out every one of us from the wicked ways of the Lord. And all the way through this word, every one of them had to come into some contact with where was God at. And yet Jesus is saying in himself, he was 100% man, 100% God, but he was saying in himself, what's going on? The 100% man was asking this, but the 100% God within him knew that he was there for a reason. Yeah. This is not all listed in, in Corinthians, for he have made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's right. We are told there here that Jesus not only laid our sins, uh, taken our sins and laid upon him, but that he was made sin for us. Now, since the holy God cannot look upon sin in these few hours, he turned his back upon his son who was carrying all the sins of the world in his own body. God is so holy, so pure, so free from sin, so full of righteousness that no man can describe him. He is so holy that even even the situations around him, cannot impregnate him and yet our savior is on that cross all the hell that you and I have done in our lives and everybody all that we have read put it in the basket all the wrongdoings that the world has talked about put it in a basket all of it all over the world put it in the wrong in the right basket All the stealing that have occurred that we know of and don't know of, put it in a basket. Anything that you can think of that is ungodly, put it in the basket and then throw it upon him like a spring of water. And he wears it, knowing that it's on him. And yet we can't even take a a half a minute of anybody's troubles. Because we feel like, why do I need that? And yet he never said a mumbling word. He walked through all of these circumstances. And as I was studying this. So I don't run out of time. I, so much was in it. I said myself, my God. The what that he has taken. Just myself. The stuff that I went through just myself. The thing that he took, just myself. And yet we got to con- uh, have the nerve to complain about one thing and this and that when it doesn't matter. Because he makes us ready to be strong enough to walk through that. That's why I love what David said. though I walked through that valley. In the shadow of death I fear no evil. Why David? Because thou was with me. God is always with you. He's always with us. He walks with us. This is not even a crumb that we have to deal with. And yet he took it all. Every single one of them. And stood there. He could call down legions of angels. But he stood on that cross. Painful. And said, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. How in the world can you kill eternity? And he knew this. So he knows how much we can take and how much we can't. But let me tell you something, my brother and sister, if you can't deal with the little insignificant things that come into our life, you can't deal with anything. That's why I say when I was at four heart attacks, you heard me say it, in graduate hospital, looking at the monitor, they inside of me and I'm feeling no pain. And there was no cuts on my body. And the doctor just looked at me and says, I've never seen this before. But he that is in me is greater than me that's in this world. Yeah. The accidents that we almost have, that we don't thank God for, that side view mirror when you get ready to pull out and then you jump back because the car's coming, that ain't you. That's God. Thank you for the aspirins and all the pills we take, but that ain't what's taking care of us. It's His His word that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. And yet, reason why he was forsaken by God because all of the stuff, all the sin that was on him, and God wasn't after him. God was after what he was carrying—the sins that he was. He was carrying our sins. And that's why he knew he couldn't, he wasn't totally uh, forsaken because he knew that he would be in heaven when he leave here. That's why that thief said, never sung, to, never went to a choir, never sung in a song and everything, but he recognized who he was and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Christ said, this day, thou will be with me in paradise. This day, this day, not tomorrow. He's gonna. I'm gonna take this band over and walk with it with you today. And before they took out the flesh of that that thief, his spirit exited right out. It's almost like opening an, an elevator door. He took those without crying. He took those stuff without that. All right. But see, But the most important thing was the cup. What did that represent? The cup represented his. It's the thing that God for a moment had separated himself from was in that cup. All the other stuff that he was taken from and accused of, he didn't care about that. But to be separated from the presence of God the Father that was in the, 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 the crust of that cup as he looked down in that cup of life. And then he said he knew why he was being forsaken. He get, took the pain. He took everything for that we've gone through for us without crying out and without screaming out. Whenever you've been ready to do something from somebody, my brother and sister, don't look back and say, I did this I did it. Don't say a word. Just be grateful that God is allowing you to do it. Because when you run in your mouth, you're, all you're doing is looking for something you want credit for. And it's not about you. It's about he that is in you. And that's why when I was studying this, I, I just stood there for hours. and couldn't contain myself. And the tears came out, and the Holy Spirit spoke in through me. And I said, wow, wow, he did all of this for me, and I have the audacity to have the audacity to. To, to think about it if I don't outwardly complain about it. Because 139 Psalms, he knows our thoughts are far off. I would have the audacity to question what God was doing in my life. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I'm God. If your marriage is broke up, if this is happening, if this is happening, this is, don't worry about it. Be still and walk with Christ. Trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not to your own understanding. Our understanding don't know nothing. But in all our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our path. Amen? Amen. 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 This is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Reverend Cleve, folks.
7: Giving the Lord um, honor for what he's done on the cross and thanking our pastor Um, thankful for my wife and family and thank you for my mother who teaches me so much Um, thankful to the Lord for being here today I don't take it lightly nervous as ever and uh, we trust the Lord John chapter 19 verses um, 28 through 29 and I'm also thankful for my brothers uh, in Christ and for you my brothers and sisters Uh, In Christ as well Um, John chapter 19 verses 28 through 29 says after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled said I thirst now there was a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Just for a minor thought, uh, if I have time, we're going to talk about signed, sealed, delivered. He's yours. I thirst. Jesus, I thirst. John, who's different in his approach to the gospel than any other person verifies, signifies, and indicates through the use of symbolism and through stating it directly that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's not like Matthew who really is talking to the Jews primarily and saying he's a servant. He's not like Mark dealing with those who like to think in the Greek saying that you know, he's deep in his thinking. He's not like Luke who shows him as a man of action, which goes to the Romans john says no no i'm not just talking to the jews i'm not just talking to the greeks i'm not just talking to the romans when you come to john he says we need a world savior so he says that this is god in the flesh comes down and he ties that with creation and jesus is thirsty now 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 that might not mess with you but here it is jesus created the the, the the water on the earth two thirds Jesus created that yes. Jesus who made the clouds who 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 when they when Elijah prayed sent him a cloud and when when Moses was being chased by Pharaoh sent him uh, a, a red sea and 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 he has sent noah a flood, cleansed the earth filled it covered over the mountains, and he's thirsty I, 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 It blows my mind, and I don't have time to get into this. John starts off founding his gospel. He starts with that incarnation, and then he takes Jesus. And there's John there who's been baptizing with water. And he says, yeah, I give this water, but Jesus is going to baptize you with the Spirit. Water has its uses as a symbol. Now, a symbol along the road will give you direction it will give you a sign. It will indicate direction and lead you a certain way. When you see the symbol of Michael Jordan for the ballers, it will let you know that the highest epitome of basketball is in that symbol that Nike has on his sneakers. And then when you think about the computer geeks, they, they look at a white apple with a bite on the side and it lets you know all about the best programs and softwares. And for me, I'm a Christian, so the sign of the cross means something to me. And it, I, I try to live my life according to that sign and Jesus in his word is giving us signs and water here is a sign. So, so he comes in and after he shows that his baptism was greater, he calls the disciples, the disciples follow him. And then three days later, he starts his ministry. The third day, the Bible says, I can't mess with that right now, but you can study that yourself. Three days later, he starts his ministry. And the first thing he does, he comes to a wedding ceremony and there are six Six stone water pots, six the number of man. There's, there's six stone water pots that are there, and they're empty. And, and his mother comes to him and says, Jesus, I, I, I need some wine. And Jesus tells his disciples to fill them with water. They fill him with the water, and then Jesus takes the dasani and makes it asti spumati. He turns it from water to wine. Is, is what he does with it, and then they use that, and he's saying that, that there's, there's this new wine that he's going to be given. And, and then from there, he goes to, to chapter 3, and he sees Nicodemus, who, who, who's a Jew, and the Jews would take Gentiles and would baptize them and would show new life and in the faith, and Jesus tells him, listen, unless you're born of water, and, and unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't have new life. Nicodemus doesn't realize he needs that, but Jesus uses water to symbolize new life. And then after he does that in chapter four, he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well and and he tells her all about her life. And he says to her, listen, if you get with me, I've got water that will spring up outside of me. The spirit that's given to you and I as Christians. Then he moves to chapter 5, and then there's a man in Bethesda, and he's laying there, laid out for 38 years, and can't get in a pool, and he wants to touch this water. Jesus walks up to him, says, listen, man, pick up your bed and walk, because the water of healing flows through Jesus. <laughs> he's got this water theme that, that's going, and then the Jews want to stone him because he said that God is his father, and, and, he, and he says to talk about his death and the glorifi- his glorification through death. But then he pauses in chapter 5, he talks about the bread of life. And then he starts talking about the bread of life. And, 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 and he's the father, I mean he's the son that does the father's will. And then in chapter 6 he says, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, which is symbolic of the wine, then you cannot have eternal life. He's using these symbols to direct us to something. And then he goes on into chapter 7, he says, if many men thirsts, and he believes on me, according to the scripture, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, now, that's deep because there was a ritual that the Jewish leaders would have. Because he's going to tell a man to go in the, the, the pool of Shalom and go in there and, and cleanse his eyes. And he's going to help him to, to see again. What they would do is, according to Ezekiel and according to Zechariah, is that they would go and they would get the water from that pool. They would bring it back into the temple. And then what they would do is they would pour that on the last day because they expected that the Messiah would come. And just in case the Messiah would show up, they would pour the water and they expected that the waters would come out and restore the land and restore the earth. And don't you know that this is exactly what Jesus says on the last day? And then he gets up and stands on Mount Olivet like the scripture says. And nobody comes to him because they don't recognize that he is that living water. He is that righteousness. He is that restoration. So they miss the sign. He, 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 he goes on and, 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 he, and, he, and he goes to chapter 13. He washes the disciples' feet, gives them purification. And, and he talks about, about his, his death and his burial and resurrection. Now we can get to chapter 19 when he talks about our thirst. Because here now, Jesus knew all things were accomplished, every requirement satisfied, everything that God needed Him to do done. He He's good. All that is done, but that the Scripture might be fulfilled. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Dealing with God's providence. Nothing is out of his hands. Nothing is out of control. Everything is by God's design. Everything is by his will. Everything is by his purpose. You didn't catch Jesus out there with a fair one. No, he planned this. So Jesus comes along. And and, and, and he takes what was set there. Y'all missing this. Y'all missing this. It was set there. The vessel was set there. It was placed there. Now, this is the end of his ministry. This is the last thing he's about to do. Now, the first thing he did there was the vessels that were set there. The the water to wine was set there, and Jesus gave them to drink. But then the Roman soldiers take from the vessel that was set there and give him that pasca, give that to him, that cheap, dirty Roman wine, that lower, sour wine, and Jesus takes it. Jesus takes it because when he gave the disciple. The, when he gave them their communion, he gave them to drink. But he didn't take nothing to drink himself. That's because he drinks it right here on the cross. And he symbolizing we're moving from that old covenant. We're removing from that old, type of, that old type of baptism and communion to this new one. We're in this new life now that Jesus is giving us. And, 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 and the, they take the hyssop. And the thing about the hyssop, and I'm going to take my seat, is that the hyssop was used... By the, by the Jews in the old days, they would dip it in blood and, and they would put it on the doorpost and lentil and it would form, as pastor says, the cross and the angel of death would pass over them and then what he, what he did, they would use it in cleansing and cleansing. And later on in the, script, in the chapter, it says that when they poke Jesus in the side, the water, new life, and the blood, new life, poured out on his side. So it's simply this. It's been signed. Jesus seals it, and you can be delivered. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, you've been fooled. You've been hoodwinked. You've been bamboozled. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. Fool me three times, grab the peace sign. Get on your nose, get on your knees, and let the peace and love of Christ and mercy reign on you
1: thank God for it now we'll be singing from him 84 there is a fountain
4: 好 oh
3: when this poor man is An elderly woman mm. was on her deathbed, and she's having a conversation with her nurse. Tells her nurse, he says, Nurse, can you go get my doctor and my lawyer? And the nurse says, Sure. Um, she goes in the hallway and she finds the woman's doctor and the lawyer, and the doctor and the lawyer come in the room. And uh, the elderly woman says to the doctor, Can you grab my right hand? The doctor did that, and the lawyer, she said, Can you grab my left hand? And the lawyer grabbed her left hand, and the nurse said, uh, Sister, what are you doing? She said, she said, hush, child. She said, I just want to see how Jesus felt when he died between two thieves. Amen. Amen. I have the sixth word this morning. Now, if I say tonight a lot, it's because I preach at night, so forgive me, but I have the, the sixth word this morning, and it is finished, John chapter 19 verse number 30. After Jesus has drunk the vinegar, he said it is finished and he gave up the ghost. So I'm used for a thought tonight. Pastor Bullock used for thought tonight. See, I said it already used for thought this morning. Uh, how to know when it's over. How to know when it's over. Uh, Jesus is on the cross. And it's 33 A.D. I want you to watch these threes. Um, It's around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, He started his ministry when he was 30. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Cleve. He started his ministry on the third day. Isn't that what you said? Amen. And uh, he was in ministry for three years. Um, He gets up on the third day. And... Three things, three strange things happen while he's on the cross that you can't explain. It becomes midnight at midday. Uh, The earthquake starts rolling and dead folk get up from the grave. And then the veil is rent from top to bottom. It's not rent from bottom to top. If it was rent from bottom to top, that would be a sign of man trying to get to God, which is religion, but it's rent from top to bottom and now we have access to get to jesus and preachers i want you to know that worship must always start at the top and if you can have worship in the pulpit and worship in the choir then it will flow down to the bottom three things happened at the cross some things changed some things continued and some things were killed uh, worship continued but worship also changed. Okay, something was killed. The the innocent lamb, Christ, was killed. So we no longer have to bring sacrificial animal blood to get into his presence. In the Old Testament, guilty man would chase an innocent lamb to be forgiven. I want you to get this picture. I want you to get a picture of, of, of yourself being guilty, running in the woods, trying to catch an innocent lamb and that lamb running saying, get your hands off me. I haven't done anything wrong. But the guilty man says, I need you to die so I can live. But watch this, for it, In the New Testament, you have the innocent lamb chasing the guilty man. But the guilty man is running saying, I don't want to live. I think y'all missed that there, right? What? is finished what is finished what is finished? see before jesus could die right he had to live right see because if there's one blemish on his credit report he'll be able to die on the cross but he'll never be able to get up from the grave see see the evidence that he lived right is not that he died it's that he got up that's the evidence and because he is the innocent lamb so jesus took his body and bought my body and then he took his body and filled my body. And then he took his body and sealed my body. And what I do with my body will let everybody know whose body my body belongs to. So we got to present our body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. So what is finished? Sin is finished. Satan. It's finished. The expiation, our sins have been removed. The propitiation, God's wrath has been removed. The reconciliation, come on, our alienation have been removed. Uh, The redemption plan have been put in place. The substitution, God has taken our place. So how do you know when it's over? Somebody could be on the cross this morning and you're ready to come off. Make sure you don't get off the cross too early. Jesus is on the cross. And many of us, let's be honest, we would have got off the cross as soon as that Roman soldier would have spit in our face. We would have said, I'm done. We would have said, it's it's over, I'm finished, I'm finished. But you've gotta be able to do ministry even with your hands tied. You've got to be able to be effective in ministry, preachers, even when you don't have wiggle room, even when you only got seven minutes. Come on, come on. You've got to be effective when it's uncomfortable. You've got to be effective and anointed when they're talking about you. You've got to be effective and anointed when you can't have your way. Don't get off the cross too soon. I know you're having a pity party and does not look like everything's going your way, but somebody is being blessed by what you're going through. Jesus is on the cross, he's still saving souls, Jesus is on the cross, he's still making arrangements for his mama. Jesus is on the cross. He's still saying, Father, forgive them for they know not whether to stay or tail on the cross. I know you want to come off, I know, I understand, been there, done that, got the hat and the t-shirt. Same token, Walker, don't come off, don't stay on the cross too long. Because you can stay on the cross too long. I remember I was in a situation, the Lord told me to get off the cross and I stayed on the cross because I didn't want to go to the grave. And I didn't know what was coming next off the cross. How do I know when I've been on the cross too long? God ain't getting no glory. God is not getting glorified. People are not being edified, and you are not being satisfied. You've got to know when it is time. I want you to know that Jesus came seven places. He was in heaven. That's one. He came to earth. That's two. Then he went to the cross. That's three. He went to the grave. That's four. He went to hell. That's five. Came back to earth. That's six. Then he's up in glory. That's seven. Seven means it's complete, it's finished. He bled in seven spots. Bled in his left hand, bled in his right hand, bled in his left foot, bled in his right foot, bled in his side, bled on his head from the thorns, bled on his back. That's seven, that's it is finished. They hung him high. I think my time's about up. They stretched him wide. He hung his head for me. He died. But that's not how the story ends for three days later. He's coming again. The first Adam was told to stay away from a tree, but the last Adam was called to a tree. The first Adam died with his wife, but the last Adam died for his wife. I said the first Adam was naked and was ashamed, but the last Adam was naked and was not ashamed. The first Adam hid in the garden But the last Adam said, i got to go to the garden of Gethsemane to die. The first Adam said, it was not my fault, it was the woman's fault. The last Adam said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The first Adam hid from God and ignored God. The last Adam was ignored by God because he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? The first Adam was guilty, but God took an innocent lamb. And the last Adam was innocent and had to become a lamb it is finished but jesus said i am not finished (laughs) it is finished but once i want to know once your misery has ended then your ministry can start god bless you
1: amen And now we'll have a seventh word, Father, into their hands. I commend my spirit as Pastor Lightfoot followed by Reverend Walker.
8: He may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I guess we can just call the benediction after that and just give up to call and just go on home. Boy, these preachers is preaching up in here. Praise the Lord. Somebody get him a hand, please. These preachers is preaching. I'd like to invite your attention to the book of Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. The 23rd chapter of the book of Luke. Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, father into thine hands or your hands. I commend my spirit. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, don't turn there. Section D where it says, and he bowed his head and gave up the goose. Right. This one is used for a few moments, seconds, or the time that I have. Talk around the subject. The greatest show on earth. Yeah. The greatest show on earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, old hey, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Jesus, is Jesus is the name is that you can trust on. Can trust. Amen. The greatest show on earth, 1975, when I was about 15 years old, my father and my mother took me to a show in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Spectrum, and the show was Ringling's Barling and Bailey Circus. And I'll never forget that day when I went there because it was all kind of skits and acts that they put on. They had one man walking on the tightrope, which his name was Felipez, and this man walked across the World Trade Center with a tightrope. Yeah. And uh, one show really caught my attention. This man's name was Wolfgang Holzmar. And this man, man Holzmar, I remember sitting there up in the bleachers looking down and he was standing in an arena and he had like a tight rope and a rope and a ring around his neck, I mean a ring. And um, through this tube came running out 15 lions, mad lions. And he took one lion, opened up his mouth and stuck his head inside of the lion's mouth and pulled his head back out again. And the show was called Ringling Barneys and Belly Circus, The Greatest Show on Earth. <laughs> well, that was a show, but uh, that was not the greatest show on Earth. In our text here, we see Jesus, now his final word, he has actually put on the greatest show on Earth. And this greatest show on Earth started with a plan. And here, Jesus is letting you and I know that this is the ultimate act of trust. He put on a great show to show you and I that we can trust the Father in our dying day. That we can trust the Father in the midst of the storm, and no matter what we're going through, Jesus put his trust in the Father. This speaks of the covenant-keeping nature of Yahweh Adonai Elohim. That's to say... Uh, the covenant-keeping God, Elohim, speaks of God's power and might. Yeah, that's right, that's right. That the Lord asks you and I to put our trust in Him, according to John chapter 5, verse 45 and 46. He said, "Do you?" He said, "He said, Do, don't, He said, Do you not think that?" He said, "If you believe in Moses, uh-huh. you should believe in Me. Right. Why? Because He wrote of Me." Right. Jesus is saying, "Look, if you put your trust in Moses, right. then you should put your trust in Me, because Moses wrote about Him." And so we have to put our confidence, we have to put our confidence in him because he will do exactly what he says. Right. Yet here Jesus, who is the author and the finisher not only of faith, but the author and the finisher of our salvation, amen, had modeled the ultimate act of trust for our sake. And he trusted the father's plan well enough to give up his glory to take the form to take the man the form of a servant and be, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's why the Bible says, "Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name." And so Jesus demonstrates the ultimate act of trust, so that you and I we can trust Jesus no matter what. God had a plan for Jesus that would, took place before the foundation of the world, but the plan was predetermined. And the predetermined plan was predestinated. Right. And the predestinated plan had a providence. And the providence consists of pleasure. And the pleasure consists of pain. But in the midst of pain, amen, Jesus knew that God was going to pull him out. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so here it is, Jesus, out of these words on the cross, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Father, into thy hands I commend my body. He didn't say, Father, into thy hands I commend my soul. But he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Why? Because he has now dismissed the Holy Spirit from him because the Father departed from him at the fourth word where he said, Eli, Eli, Lama, That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And even though that God forsook him, Jesus said, Father, even though that you forsook me, I'm still going to put my trust in you. That's why he said, I thirst. Because, Father, even though you forsake me, I'm still thirsting to do thy will. And that's why he said, it is finished, because Jesus finished the work of plan of redemption. He finished reconciliation. He finished justification. He finished glorification for you and I, amen, to put ultimately our trust in him. And so that's what we need today in our day and time. We need to put our trust, amen, in Jesus because of the situation and things that's happening in our world today. I know that you know that a couple days ago on on the 22nd, amen, open Belgium, ISIS struck again. We need to put our trust in Jesus for our protection because I hope you know, amen, that your Uzi gun and your dogs, come on somebody, and your homeboys cannot protect you. I don't care how much protection this, you can have all the guns in the world, you can have all the people on your side, they got guns out here that, 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 that can take people out four miles away. And I'm here to let you know, amen, stop by my way going to heaven, amen, this afternoon, that if you don't put your trust in Jesus, amen, you cannot be protected. You got home invasions. Amen. You got drive-bys, you got kidnappings, and Jesus said, so Look here, that you can trust Jesus, amen, no matter what. He lets you and I know that we don't have to trust in ourselves. Because you got a lot of people that trust in themselves. you got a lot of people that trust in their beauty. He said, look, don't trust in yourselves. He said, don't trust in your beauty. Don't trust in the multitude of mighty men. He said, don't trust, amen, in your own righteousness because all of our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. And we do fade like a leaf in our iniquity like the wind have driven away. Don't put your trust in man because the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusts in man that maketh the flesh's his arm. His heart departed from the Lord for he should be like a heath in the Desert, he shall not see when good come, but shall inhabit the parked places in the wilderness in a salt land not in heaven. But he says, Blessed is the man who maketh the Lord his trust, whose hope the Lord is. How? Why? Because he shall be like a tree. Planted by the waters that spread out her roots by the river, her leaves shall not be green, neither should she be careful in the year of drought, neither cease from yielding fruit. God wants us to put our trust in Him because when we put our trust in Him, we'll have perfect peace, isn't that right? Because the Bible says, Thou will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because we trust in thee. The Bible says trust in the Lord forever for in the name of Yahweh there's everlasting strength. We need to put our trust in them. The Bible says trust not in horses. Don't trust in chariots. But the psalmist says I will remember the name of the Lord my God. David said I waited patiently for the Lord and then he climbed unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me also out of a harbor pit out of the marvy clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He put a new song in my mouth. Even praises unto my God. Many people shall see and shall fear and shall put their trust in the Lord with all your heart don't lean into your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct that path trust in him at all times pour out your heart before him why? because God is I said he is He's a refuge for you. He was a refuge for Jesus. He knew Jesus was not going to stay there. He knew that Jesus had to go down in the grave for three days. And Jesus knew he was coming up from out of the grave because he put his trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus and everything will be all right.
9: Come on, let's praise them. Come on now, come on. Didn't they preach? Come on, they did a good job. In the name of Jesus, all them boys preach. Woo! Put your trust in the Lord. Ah! It's been giving me the task to do a a wrap up on everything. So I'm going to do a little wrap up on everything. These guys, they preach the seven words of Christ. And it was so awesome. But listen, these seven words is crucial. These seven words are example how to live the Christian example in the midst of pain. It's an example, the greatest example in the world how to live the principles of God, how to practice the principles of God is seen at the cross. Listen, you cannot practice the principles of God if you don't deal with your historical pain, your gradual pain, your situational pain, or your sudden pain. You must be able to deal with your pain to practice the principle of God. It's right here that Jesus, the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man, God in the flesh, showing us an example dealing with the pain. And there's three things you should see from the cross you should see the pain, the pattern, and the providence of God. What is the pain? The pain is this, the pain is the rejection of the Jewish people. The pain is the abandonment of the disciples. The pain is the hurt of his mother. The pain is the silence of God. But most of all, the pain is the cross. While he's at the cross, nailed from feet to hand, thorns on his head, he's in pain. But guess what? He practiced the principles of God. You know why? It was so profound that a Roman soldier said, surely this must be the son of God. So is your life in the midst of your pain? Are you practicing the principles of God that when people look at you, they can say, surely. Or are they looking at you and saying, they ain't no saint. They ain't. So now you see the pain. But then the second thing is this, the pattern. What's the pattern? The pattern is the seven words of Christ. Why? Because the first thing is just what? The pattern of forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stop, pause for a minute. Did they, didn't know what they were doing? Now, a so the story in the Bible Said, suggests what the husband sent a servant after servant after servant. Right? And they killed the servant, they killed the servant, and they killed the servant. Then the Lord, the husbandman, the father said, guess what, I will send my son. Truly they will reverence the son. But when the son comes, they say, oh, this is here, this is the ear, let's kill him. So they knew it was the son, and they killed him. So now, did they know? Well, the Greek word for know is eldor. It means to know of the five senses. It's to know of the five senses. Listen, You can never know spiritual things by your flesh. You can never know the things of God by what you see, you hear, you feel. You see, you got to know the things by, guess what? By the word of God, by illumination, by creation, by God calling an election. See, they had natural revelation Was it the people. They had special revelation, which was the word of God. And they had supernatural revelation, was the miracles of God. And they still crucified him. And to God give you illumination, you will always stay in your pain. You will always stay lost and not found. So not only the pattern of forgiveness, there's the pattern of reassurance. He told the guy, today that will be with me in paradise. In paradise. Listen, he's already at the cross. He's already in pain. Another man is saying, ah, oh, drop, bump, Jesus. He don't know what he's talking about. Jesus didn't pay him no attention. He told the man, today you will be in paradise. It's always good to pick positive rather than negative. But when we're in pain, we always come with the negative first. Then the third thing is this. The pattern... Of compassion. He said, Woman, behold this mother, behold us, son, son, behold thy mother. Now, wait a minute. In the midst of this pain, he said, Behold, he showed compassion. Now listen, he's God, he's a hypostatic union. He could have stopped the pain anytime he wanted. But you know what he did? He embraced the pain to show us how to live in pain. Now shake this out. He said, behold, he showed compassion. Can we go this day, this this, this good Friday, and show compassion even when we don't feel like it? Even when we are hurting? Even when things are not going right? We're not perfect, but we're trying. But then the fourth thing is this, is the pattern of confusion. Look what he says. He said, my God, my God. Why have thou forsaken me? He was confused by the will of God in his life. Don't you get confused how God is leading your life? If you don't, then guess what this went on? There's a guy in the Bible who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know what? There's some time that something will hit you that you might believe in the sovereignty of God, the power of God, but when this hits you, it will test your faith. And admit you doubt that this guy, he was dealing with a demonic force in his child. See, you gotta understand, sometimes we be under spiritual attack and we've never been there before. You might be there one day. Then he moved into the the, 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 the pattern of for, for fulfillment. He said, I thirst. Like, like practically, you said, fulfilling prophecy. Then he went on to the the pattern of commitment. He said, into your hand I commit my spirit. Can you commit your life to God when all hell is breaking out in your life? Can you trust God or are you like Peter? I'm going back fishing. And sometimes we do that. It only takes for a minute from a saint to go from a saint to an ain't. Because see, under pressure, reveal who we really are. So then the last one is this. is the pattern of complete, completion. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And he gave up the ghosts. So now you see, every pattern is an example on how to live the godly principles of God. And we all are falling short. We all have making mistakes. But let me tell you something. The Bible said just man falls down seven times, but we get back up. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of falling. But every time I fall, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep on moving. I'm going to keep on glorifying God. You know why? Because we are the church. We are Christians indeed, and we can't give up. You know why? Because God has brought us too far to let us go. But then it goes on to the last thing. is this. It's the providence of God. The providence of God is this. And the power. The providence and the power of God is this. Right. That God providentially is watching over everything. Right. So, so so when God allows something to happen, he requested it, he predicted it, he signed off on it, and he wants us to live it out. And they're saying, and this is so deep, you know why? Because God allowed everything to go in your life to see how you're going to react. He already knows how he's going to react. He already knows what he's going to do. But he wants you to see who you are in the midst of your pain. So he goes on, he said this. He said, guess what? Jesus said, in the providential God, and God is silent, Jesus said this, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And the Bible said that he dropped his head between his shoulder. And listen, everybody thought it was over. Jesus was on the cross, he was dead. Everybody thought it was over. The disciples, they went back from gloom to doom. They went back, they went back fishing. But the Jesus spirit left his body. He went to the father but when he left his body he took everything in paradise with him and he went to heaven and he presented himself to god the father but I mean, listen now when he went and he presented himself to god the father and everybody in paradise everybody thought it was over then when jesus now saw god the father he came back to earth and when he came back to earth oh my god listen demons went all around his body you know what I'm saying? And guess what, he said? What, what? What does Jesus think he's doing? He's dead. It's over. The body's in the tomb. We won. Jesus went back into his body. And when he got back in his body, Paul picked it up. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, oh, death will thy victory. Oh, grave will thy sting. Why? Because three days later, he got up with all power in his hand. I don't know about you, but he got up. So know what we can do? We can get up. And I tell you right now, if you're in a pity party and all things ain't going right, you better be like, David, I will bless the Lord at all times. I praise will be in my mouth. I will make my boast of the Lord, the humble will hear it, and be glad. If not, you better be like, Job, don't he slay me. Yet will I trust him. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad for God. I'm so glad for what he did for my life. He's a great God, a great king. Say yeah! Yeah!
2: God bless
1: I've had some good days. I've had some hills to climb. I've had some weary days and some lonely nights. But when I look around and think things over, all my good days outweigh my bad days. I won't complain. I had some good days. I had some hills to climb. I had some weary days and some sleepless nights. But when I look around and think things over, all my good days outweigh my bad days. I won't complain. Sometimes the cloud hang low. I can hardly see the road. And I ask the question, Lord, Lord, why so much pain? But he knows what's best for me. Although my weary eyes, they can't see. So I'll just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I won't complain. God has been good to me. He's been good to me more than this old world or you could ever be. He's been so good to me. He dried away all my tears away, turned my midnights into days. So I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I won't complain. The door the church is open. Down is the appointed time for anyone who has not accepted Christ. For years, I've walked into the building. But I was not saved. I ushered at, uh, at a Methodist church at a young age. I wasn't saved. The body of Christ must be in you. The church is a body of believers in Jesus Christ and him only. Don't look to the left or the right because the person you might be sitting with may not also be saved. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And if there be anybody here today, seriously, just raise your hand. Please don't let anybody contaminate you if you have not by thinking, Well, look at what they're looking at me. It's not that. Look what Jesus is seeing. This is your appointed time. Today could be your day. Anybody, just raise your hand. For years I was not saved, thought I was, but in nineteen seventy-one the Lord took my life. With that said. Eternal God, our Father, it's in the name of Jesus, Lord God. You know who we are and what we are and where we are. And Lord God, we're going to trust you for this because there's nothing about us that you don't know. Why you created us in your image according to your likeness and you breathed upon us the breath of life and we became a living soul. So we pray your blessings upon each one in the sound of my voice. If anybody's here is going through some form of sickness or anything, Lord God, we pray that you may touch them. And heal them for the things we know and the things we do not know. But as we leave, ready to leave this place, but never your presence, we thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing with us, forth, through us, and to us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we'll let the young men come down, and you can, you can say hi to them. On the floor.